Hello and welcome to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. Today I want to talk about um, my favourite, one of my favourite poets, who is uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins, who died in 1889 and was a Roman Catholic priest. Um, don't panic, it's, it's, it's not going to be... Uh, hardcore in that respect. The poem I want to talk about is a very famous poem. You may even have heard of it. It's called The Wind Hover. Uh, A wind hover is uh, another name for a falcon. And it's subtitled To Christ Our Lord. Again, I need you to not panic about this. You know, you'd be fine watching a film with Thor in it or reading Homer with uh, references to Apollo or Zeus or whatever. So this, it's going to be just fine. I won't be passing uh, the plate round. There will be no collection during this podcast. So there'll be a bit of Jesus in it, but I'll, you know, I, I know we've got a lot of atheists out there. Hold on to your atheist hats. I'm going to play that bit of it down as much as I can. Okay, so um, The Wind of That was, um, it was actually written in 1877 but not published until 1918 because, you know, it's tough being a priest poet. It's, um, it's seen as a slightly dodgy activity, I think, poetry. So it's something you, you want to keep under your, under your uh, big black hat if you can. This poem, The Wind Hover, is a sonnet. Now, I'm assuming that the people who listen to this show, if I can call it a show, do not know anything about poetry. Obviously, some of you will do, but it's better to to start at a kind of a poetic year zero. So a sonnet, in case you don't know, is a it's quite simply a poem of 14 lines. Now, often those 14 lines are used to various effect. So in, in this particular instance, I would say in my interpretation, this is a sonnet, which is about eight lines, three lines, and then three lines. That's how it's kind of separated in its um, chunks of meaning. You'll see it as as we go on. Uh, I, I've worried you now. I think I've used the word sonny. I've um, I've I've described. I've said Jesus once, but the main theme of this poem is that a bloke watches a falcon uh, uh, in flight. That that's really, you know, that's all you need to hold on to. So I'm gonna I'm gonna blast out the first eight lines. Like I said, I think the first eight lines of this sonnet. Oh my God, I'm throwing that word around now. Um, I think that they can be seen as a unit. Now, be warned, if you are not familiar with the poetry of Gerard Manley Hopkins, he doesn't just love language, he luxuriates in it. There's alliteration, uh, you know, like uh, Peter Piper, Peter Peck. Um, there's internal rhymes. There's there's all sorts of stuff. There's linguistic fireworks going on all over the place. If you're a Victorian Jesuit priest, you have to show restraint in in most areas of life. Let's face it. So I think this was a little area of his life where he um, he let himself go somewhat. So here's the first eight lines of the Wind Hover. Um, I I uh, brace yourself. I would say would be my in, instruction. Okay, here goes. Don't expect to get all of this in one blast. I caught this morning morning's minion, kingdom of daylight's dauphin. Dapple dawn-drawn falcon in his riding of the rolling level underneath him steady air, and striding high there, how he rung upon the rein of a wimpling wing in his ecstasy. Then off, 
I'll forth on swing as a skate's heel sweeps smooth on a bow bend. The hurl and gliding rebuffed the big wind. My heart in hiding stirred for a bird. The achieve of, the mastery of the thing. Come on, I mean, it's brilliant, isn't it? Isn't it brilliant? Please tell me you can feel a little bit, even at this stage, a little hint of it, of its, of its brilliance. So I'd like to talk to you a, a little bit more about that. That that very first, the the beginning there. I caught this morning, morning's minion, kingdom of daylight's dauphin, dauphin. I said. Um, Okay, um, just a couple of explanations. Minion, I know I know. when I say Minion, I know what you're thinking of, right? It's not those. It's nothing to do with those. And it's not even, I think, in this instance, it's not like Minion-like, meaning very low down the um, corporate food chain. It's Minion in, in, the, in the meaning of um, a, a favourite, a... a um, a beloved, if you like, that that meaning of, of minion. So I caught this morning, morning's minion. So the sort of favourite of the morning, if you can imagine. One of the stars of AM. And you can hear the alliteration that obviously I caught this morning, morning's minion. Kingdom of daylight's dauphin. So you get the, 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 well, all that. A dauphin, by the way, is an heir to the throne, a, a prince, if you like. So this bird and this bright, beautiful morning in this kingdom of daylight, he, it is the main creature. It is a, it is a prince, a prince of, of, of the sky. And then we get to that bit where he says, dapple dawn drawn falcon. Now, one thing I'm a, a big fan of is the hyphen. I, I love use of the hyphen in, in literary forms. John Wayne, I don't know if you know, hated the hyphen um, with, a, with a passion. I'm not talking about John Wayne, the literary critic. I'm talking about John Wayne, the, the cowboy actor. There is a, a spoken word album I own by uh, John Wayne in which there is, a, there is a piece called The Hyphen, in which he sort of says there's a pretty nasty little piece of punctuation. And the point he's getting at is the hyphen is used to make uh, the, the words African-American, Italian-American, Irish-American, whereas in, in John Wayne's view, there are only Americans. So um, I, I am on the different side. I love, I love a hyphen. And so does um, Gerard Manley Hopkins. I bring them up because of the phrase... Well, the compound actually, dapple dawn drawn. So, dapple dawn, dawn actually, it's the morning, dapple as in all like, patchy and mixed and uh, brindle, and uh, y you know what I mean. And uh, dapple dawn drawn, I don't know what quite what it means, but I think it was sort of, it is drawn, if you like, by the, the brightness. Maybe it's the silhouette of it. And dapple because you can only see some light on it and some shade, so it's it's a mix of that. That's what I'm thinking. You don't need to get everything in in poetry. And sometimes I'm not going to stand by this, but sometimes I think a Hopkins, if it sounds good, he'll chuck a word in. He'll chuck a word in any old time. He'll use a verb as an adjective or a adjective as a noun, and he will go for it if it sounds great. It, there's there's a there's a, an, an an immense poem by him called 
the wreck of the Deutschland, which describes a storm at sea. And there's some good hyphen work in this. I won't identify the hyphens, just trust me. Um, but he talks about uh, the storm at sea. He talks about the wind wiry and white fiery and whirlwind swiveled snow. I mean, come on. And he, um, I must stop saying come on, but, you know, sometimes I read poetry and I just think, oh, come on. Um, it's the use of the word dapple there in dapple, dawn, drawn, falcon. I, I want to pick up on that because if there's one thing, another thing that Hopkin loves, aside from the hyphen, it is things that are dappled, things that are, you know what I mean by dappled? So they're, they're, they're more than one colour or they are um, a mix of things. Neither one thing or the other. That's the uneven. He loves the uneven in, in life, the seemingly ill-matched. He loves nature, Hopkins, but he sort of loves the director's cut, you know, the odd and, and, and the alternative. I'm going to jump to another poem here. I... I I decided I hadn't got time to do this. But, you know, sometimes you, you've got to make time. There's another poem of Hopkins uh, that I love. There's several. But it, this one is called Pied Beauty. Pied as in the Pied Piper, meaning more than one colour. And this is a, a celebration of dappling in all its in all its forms. It begins... There's a bit of religion at the beginning, but we'll, we'll pass over it. Glory be to God for dappled things, for skies of couple colour, as a brinded cow. Now, a brinded cow is a, a cow of with like more than one colour in it. But skies of couple colour, that to me is one of his best hyphenations. Couple colour says it all, doesn't it? That it's more than one colour. And he, he expands in the poem to, to express a sort of general love of um, whatever is odd and, 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 and contrary. So he, he, he says here in Pied Beauty, and I quote, All things counter, original, spare, strange, whatever is fickle, freckled, who knows how, with swift slow, sweet sour, a dazzle dim. Oh, it's um, it's spectacular, I think. And I, I think it, what he's pointing out is that he loves, he can see beauty in the generally unloved, the generally unrecognised as beautiful. It reminds me a bit, and um, this is a comparison you don't often hear, but Hopkins, I think, is in, in, in a way in the same school in that respect as Andy Warhol in that Warhol saw beauty in soup tins and soap powder cartons and things that we norm wouldn't normally notice, maybe. And I think Hopkins does does the same thing. And he expands some of the, the odd, odd things that he likes. One of the things, this is just one line, and all trades, their gear and tackle and trim. So he likes... All trades, you know, we often don't notice in, 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 in the working world the exciting, beautiful things. And he loves their, their, their tackle and, and trim, all, all their, their tools and their, their equipment that we, again, we wouldn't always register as, as beautiful. I, I mention it because it reminds me, I have no interest whatsoever in, in DIY, but I do occasionally go into a DIY store just because I find real beauty in those displays of screwdrivers and Allen keys and, 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 and drill bits. 
I, I don't know what it is, but maybe because it's so alien to me, but they are often displayed in, in a fantastic way. And anyway, that was, that was uh, Pied Beauty, which is a poem you should go away and, and read. It's very short. Um, uh, anyway, you remember that, that falcon, what we was talking about? There's, there's a bit in, that, in those first eight lines where um, you will have noticed he compares its flight to the um, patterns, the flight pattern, if you like, to the, um, to the grace of an ice skater. And that is a beautiful line, I think, when he says, uh, speaking of the bird's movements, as a skate's heel sweeps smooth on a bow bend. And you can imagine the bird taking that beautiful smooth curve in the sky. It, it rhymes, this poem. The way I read it, it probably doesn't. But, in, in, you know, you can find in this poem, uh, king, wing, swing and thing, and riding, striding, gliding, hiding. They're all there, but they, because... Um, the reason I think what one cannot notice them is that they come at the end of a line, but often not at the end of a sentence. So you tend to move past them in order to complete the meaning a bit like, I don't know, like, like driving through a speed camera. You know, you see the flash, but, but the road draws you onward and you move on a little, a little wiser, but without needing to stop to, to uh, register. There's another line which, um, I, I love, but also frightens me a bit. And that is, um, it's in line seven and eight of the poem. My heart in hiding stirred for a bird. Now, the, the meaning, I think, is exciting. The falcon has sort of, uh, the fal- falcon, falcon, has, has energised his, his heart in hiding. And I think the heart in hiding is is, is an interesting topic and, and and one ever, ever more relevant in the modern world because I think the heart in hiding is, is uh, most people's hearts now. That's an overstatement. A lot of people's hearts are and remain in hiding. I think most people's emotions remain in a sort of flat pack form, you know, sort of under house arrest. Uh, this bird has, has brought his, his, um, his deeper subterranean feelings if you like up to up to the surface so i like that that he, he, he that he wasn't open and he wasn't in full poetic um effusive mode and then he saw this bird and it sort of woke him up like that but i i, I do worry about um my heart in hiding stirred for a bird i think um in the midst of all that passion Stirred for a bird is such an on-the-nose rhyme that it slightly teeters on the side of pastiche, Stirred for a Bird. It reminds me a bit of like those Ogden Nash poems. Like There's a four-word four Ogden Nash poem about one of his least favourite areas of New York. And the poem, I'm going to recite the whole thing, says, uh, The Bronx, no thonks. And I think that kind of on-the-nose rhyme is often reserved for light verse and this is not light verse this is heavy in the best possible way but he carries it off because he's Gerard Manley Hopkins and he's um, something of a poetic genius so yeah my heart in hiding stirred for a bird so so there to summarize in the first eight lines I've said to summarize like I'm a teacher in the first eight lines he's in awe of this folk and its power its 
majesty, as he as he puts it, the achieve of the mastery of the thing. I mean, he is blown away by it. This continues slightly into lines 9 and 11, which is, like for me, the second section of, of the poem, the, uh, just a three-line section. It continues a bit, that awe, but um, it, it suddenly changes, and, and I mean suddenly. I'm, I'm, I'm going to... Uh, what can I say... He builds, I suppose, at the beginning, um, he builds towards a crescendo of, of awe as, as, he, um, as he watches the bird. And we get one of his signature gasps of ecstasy as he watches. He, he will occasionally throw in a, my God, or oh, or a, my dear, and stuff like that in, in his poetry, where he's really, he's, you know, he himself is, is soaring emotionally. Anyway, these, this is line, uh, what was it, 9, 10, 11? Brute beauty and valour and act, oh, air, pride, plume, here, buckle. And the fire that breaks from thee then, a billion times told lovelier, more dangerous. Oh, my chevalier. Now, that might sound slightly like gibberish, but let me, I'll tell you what. I think um, he's so gobsmacked from from the, um, the 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 reaction that he builds up and builds up in the first eight lines. So gobsmacked that by by the time he gets to line nine, he is he stopped doing sentences. Really, he's, he's, his response is sort of reduced to a staccato emotional snapshots of the experience. So he's he's just sort of blurting out. Images and things. That that where, there where he goes, brute beauty and valor and act. Oh, air, pride, plume. I mean, really, it's going. But then there's this, this thing happens. Buckle and buckle for me is is absolutely. This is um, paper moving. Don't. I I've, I've decided early on not to hide that. Buckle, that for me is the centerpiece of the of the poem, and it breaks that ecstasy. It stops him in his tracks. I'll tell you what I think it is, and you know everyone's got different views. I think it's that moment when a bird of prey, a falcon in this case, seems to. You watch them and they look absolutely in control and they're swirling about and all that. They suddenly hit a brick wall, it looks like, in the sky and they drop. Um, so buckle for me, like, like when your knees buckle, it's all the power stops. So we've gone from the achieve of, the mastery of the thing. Um, that seems to go in an instant, sort of like... Um, like when a model plane's engine cuts out. Um, and, and Hopkins, now having been pulled up short by this, this, this buckle, this sudden stopping of, of the brilliance of the bird, seems able to speak in sentences again. So let's just, um, let's just go back to this. So, beauty, so he's in his big brute beauty and valour and actor, oh, air, pride, plume. Here, Buckle, and Buckle gets an exclamation mark midline. 
And that seems to stop him. And then, he, as I say, he's back to sentences. And this is what he said after the buckle, after he's watched the bird that was swirling around, suddenly stop, suddenly drop. And the fire that breaks from thee then. I'm going to do that again because, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting carried away. And the fire that breaks from thee then, a billion times told lovelier, more dangerous. Oh, my chevalier. So, chevalier, um, by the way, is, reminds us of the previous French words. So he's, he's gone from a, he's, he was a minion, a sort of beloved, and then a, a dauphin, a, an heir to the throne. And now he's a, a chevalier, which is a, um, a French term for a knight, someone who is, He's, he's not in the, in the very prestigious role of a dauphin, someone who serves his king or lord, someone who will give of himself, of his life even, in that service of his, of his lord. So now the bird has become that. And so when it, when it buckles, I suppose, it, it suddenly seems less regal, less all-powerful. And it becomes, and now gather round here for the weird juxtaposition. Are you comfortable? Okay. As he says, it becomes both lovelier and also more dangerous. Now, I'm going to have to bring in Jesus here. It seems that this bird, when it was in the sky, when it was looked absolutely in charge, that, you know, the, 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 the achiever of the mastery of the thing it was it was regal it was glorious but it is now that it has buckled that it has stopped performing that it has dropped that um that's when it uh, that's when the fire really appears now i think we have to go back to the fact that this is uh, dedicated to christ our lord because the, the buckling of the bird, the, the move from grandeur to sudden um, reality is, oh, well, I, I think you have to bring in Jesus because he epitomizes uh, the concept of humility as a superpower. And the bird echoes this uh, when it looks less like Kingdom of Daylight's Dauphin and more like a frontline, get your hands dirty chevalier. When it's when it's buckled, when it's been somewhat reduced, almost broken, that's when we really see how lovely, how dangerous it can be. It's fire. That's when it seems to to be complete, and it's it's kind of odd that we have been so impressed he was so impressed by the majesty of it and now it is it's it's fall it's suddenly um looking like a, a normal bird to some extent that has um that has really totally blown him away by the way i should say and this is true of these podcasts in in general i haven't checked to see if this interpretation of the poem is shared by um anyone else on the planet I mean, I'm, I'd like, I'm interested in other people's opinions, but I'm not, you know, I don't want to be um, held by them. Uh, so this, what I'm giving you now, this is my wind hover and, and other wind hovers are available and um, feel free to search them out. I, I won't be offended by that. So I'm going to move on to, uh, move on to lines 12 
to 14. And these are the last three lines of the poem, obviously, and they contrast, I think, fairly starkly with the first eight, because in that, Hopkins, the, the speaker of the poet, but I think Hopkins is a sort of a starstruck falcon fanboy. And and now he seems to have got over himself somewhat. And he says in the last three lines, no wonder of it, sheer plod makes plough down cillian shine and blue bleak embers. Oh, my dear. Fall, gall themselves and gash gold vermilion. So he's calmed down someone. He's calmed down somewhat, rather. He, he, he may have calmed down someone. I suppose he's calmed me down somewhat. I need to do some a bit of explaining here, I think. So we've gone from the achieve of, the mastery of the thing, which I keep referring to. It's now no wonder of it, sheer plod. And it's like he's so, sort of seen the real unpoetic, um, solid truth of of the bird. As, as, as Alfred Lord Tennyson put it, nature read in tooth and claw. And it, it's lost a little of its uh, wonder, all of its wonder for him here, I think. Now, you know that film we need to talk about Kevin? Well, we need to talk about Cillian. I don't know if it's a word that you're familiar with. I remember having to look it up when I first saw this. Let me read that first, those last three lines again. No wonder of it. Sheer plod makes plough down cillian shine and blue bleak embers. Ah, oh, my dear. Fall gall themselves and gash gold vermilion. Now, sheer plod makes plough down cillian shine. Here's the thing, then. When you plough a field, that soil that is turned up, that's all wet and shiny and glinting in the ground like blue bleak embers... I suppose it looks like it's almost a light that is called cillian. So that beauty comes from the ground. It comes from hard work. It comes from blood, sweat and tears. And I think this is the kind of beauty that Hopkins is moving on to in these last three lines. So um, it, we've moved sort of from the, the glories of the cathedral choir to what I believe they call in chariots of fire a muscular Christianity. I uh, I think when you, um, if we go back to Jesus one more time, um, well, it won't be the last time, but look, I'm trying to keep you on side here. Jesus as 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 majesty, as, as, as Jesus, as all-powerful, as king, is important to Hopkins. But I think we realise in these last three lines that, that Jesus as, as man is at least equally important. And that's why the, the soil is a good metaphor here. This, um, this last move from God in, in all his omnipotent glory, all-powerful, to God on earth, God who ultimately obviously will be 
crucified. And I think there's a switch here. And this is, I am slightly sticking my poetic neck out here, but this is how it feels for me. Read it and feel free to come up with your own. You know, we all own a version of this poem, which is our own. So uh, I think there's a switch. I think uh, the falcon, um, you know, I've seen falcons and several birds of prey do that sudden stop in the sky and drop. And they do it because they're falling upon their prey. And that's where he's moving us to now. And I think there's a switch. I think the switch is that the falcon no longer represents Christ. I think the prey of that falcon represents Christ. I think the power and the majesty now, as he says, fall, gall themselves and gash gold vermilion. And what I think he means by that is the fall, gall themselves. Uh, gall is a... Um, uh, imagine so we've got a fall. A gall is a, is a is a bodily fluid, so, which could you know could be spilt. Fall, gall, gash is obviously another word for a wound. Gash, gold, vermilion. Vermilion is uh, is a shade of red, so um, reminiscent of blood. So I think what we've got is a violent, gory, bloody act there but still has gold in in the midst of it fall gall themselves and gash gold of a million and i think we can't get around the fact sorry again you atheist guys but this is about the crucifixion and i think we've moved from hopkins is awe of 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 god as this mystical distant uh deity and it's come down to God, the crucified God, if you like, God as as real man. So it's it. This is the sort of Jesus cycle, I suppose. Heir to the throne, and then the, the knight, the sort of um, the one who um, represents his Lord, a sort of frontline freedom fighter on our behalf, also. So I think it goes heir to the throne, knight, and then finally pray. And pray, P-R-E-Y. And I think that that is why that buckle, that's when we really see the fire. That's why he's a billion times told lovely and more dangerous. Because it is, again, is humility as a superpower. That yet the, the grandeur of God, of course, that's exciting. And that's the big showbiz headlines. But it's down and dirty and getting nails knocked in your hand when the real work of God um, happens. And that's when, if you like, he gashes gold for million. Um, that's what I think this, this poem means. I, um, if any of you have been um, slightly made uneasy by the, the Jesusness of it, get over it. Um, it's my, you know, you, can, you don't have to, to believe to know that this is a, a wondrous poem. Read more Hopkins. Um, read Wreck of the Deutschland. I really think, oh man, he is a sound fest. Reading him out loud on your own, loudly, is one of my great joys. Um, do it. So, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is actually the last in the series um, of Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. It may come back. I don't know. I'm sitting by the telephone, but nothing. I'll be straight with you. But I've loved it, and thank you so much for being part of it, and uh, goodbye. Goodbye.
Oh, and uh, P.S. There aren't enough P.S.s in podcasts. If you like this, you can listen to The Frank Skinner Show every Saturday morning at 8am on Absolute Radio. That is also available, of course, as a podcast. It's, uh, it's got less poetry in it than this, but uh, more laughs.